The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father, as we pause, we want to acknowledge your presence among us. We're grateful that you have called us to do this. We're grateful that you've called us together here. And we're grateful for the gifts that you've given us, specifically as we install Dave as an elder among us this morning. I pray that you be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, obviously, we're talking about eldership in this passage this morning because of Dave's ordination. And um, so what I want to do is I, I want to revisit uh, this passage from 1 Peter 5 and kind of reflect on it a little bit in light of Dave's ordination, a little bit in light of just how we want to think about elders among us. I know that Christian leadership can kind of be a bit of a nebulous topic or maybe you have a lot of opinions about it or maybe you've had bad experiences with it. And we want to just be very simple in how we look at a passage and say, we want the Bible to define what it means for somebody to be an elder in our congregation. We want that to, to shape our expectations of how we think about our, our elders and pastors. And I do want to acknowledge there is a bit of some kind of awkwardness on my part in talking about the category of good pastors while being a pastor in this church and encouraging us in that direction. So this is not in any way kind of like uh, a plea for you to think more highly of me. It's in a sense, we want to commission Dave under God's word and commend what God's doing in Dave's life specifically. So um, as we normally do, I just want to say kind of the main point of this passage and then we'll just kind of break it up into a couple points. The main point here this morning that we see in this passage is good pastors reveal the character of Jesus' love for a congregation. Let me just kind of talk about this for a second. I'm saying pastor, and the passage talks about shepherd. When the Bible talks about, in my view, elders, pastors, shepherds, and sometimes uses the word bishop, those are all just the same kind of category for um, those who are in pastoral leadership within the church. So they're, they're synonymous with each other. Um, and then the character of Jesus' love. We're, we're not here because you guys like me. Like we're, I hope you guys like me. We're not here because of that. We're here together on a corner of Valley and Wilson Street in Manchester, New Hampshire, because Jesus loves Manchester, and he's called the people together into this particular place to love him together and to love what he loves, to love Manchester. So we're, we're here because of Jesus. And so what the passage does is when it talks about Christian leadership, it says there's a particular way that Jesus loves his congregation, his people, he loves a church, 
And so that's what pastors are supposed to embody. They're supposed to live out among us. And just to be clear, um, this is not unique to pastors, although pastors are the ones who are called to this ultra kind of example of Jesus, and the rest of us can kind of do whatever we want. Pastors just end up being a little bit of a clarifying point of how a whole congregation is called to live and how a whole congregation loves each other. So there's nothing necessarily unique other than just saying, we're, we want this person to be an elder among us, to be an example for us, to help lead us in what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going to see that here in this passage. So I just want to look here at verse 1, where we see that good pastors exist because of Jesus. I know this is going to not sound revolutionary, and it should all sound very familiar. I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I want to pause there, because he goes on to say, I want to remind us, this is Peter. Uh, many of us are familiar with who Peter is from the New Testament. He is the apostle that certainly gets recorded the most in terms of being willing to speak out and to express his opinion. And I don't want to give Peter a bad rap, um, because in a certain sense, he just does on the outside what we all do on the inside. Right? He's, he's the one who gets in the most trouble, both good and bad. He um, writes a few letters here at the back end of the Bible, and uh, for some, he is considered the first pope. Right? He's a pretty important figure. Uh, he's one of the people who witnesses the resurrection of Jesus. And so... If there were ever anybody who could say, uh, do what I say, it would be Peter, right? If you've ever either, I assume that you have parents who said this, or have said this as a parent, just do what I say. <laughs> why, why do this, X, Y, and Z? Because I'm the one in charge and you're not. <laughs> and Peter could have done that more than anybody, right? Uh, and here... He frames his commendation about what it means to be an elder. Did you notice this? He says, as a fellow elder, as somebody who is, in a sense, Peter could put, I am an apostle. Bro, I show up at the end of the book of the Bible, at the whole Bible, at the end book. My name is on the temple. Like, that's my name. He could be like, I mean, you've got you know, towers named after individuals. He could be like, I've got one named after me in heaven. He's like, no, my, my job description, my resume, my LinkedIn account, whatever you want to call it, is elder. But what is he an elder of? Is he a special elder? As a fellow elder, and this begins a statement that goes all the way to the end of the sentence, a witness of the sufferings of Christ as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. The statement of what he says here is a, a, is a long run-on sentence that kind of just has a, a grammatically one little comma in it to say, I am an elder because I witness Jesus. Now, that's not I witness Jesus, like he's an eyewitness and he can show up on, on a stand in the courtroom. He is a witness of all of who Jesus is for us. Life, death, resurrection, ascension, the whole picture of what we call the gospel, that Jesus comes, dies for our sin, defeats the power of sin and death in our lives by the work on the cross, rises from the grave to disarm the power of sin and death, and ascends to the throne of heaven, where he sits now governing the whole world. 
as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is being revealed. This whole picture of Jesus, that's why we have pastors. It's not just because we need kind of like an organizational leader, you know. We all want to get together, so somebody's got to tell us when we're going to do the potluck, somebody's got to tell us when we start worship services, all that type of stuff. We have pastors, and their unique calling is to basically point. My job as an elder is to say, here's who Jesus is, and to intimately say, here's what we should be doing in following Jesus. This is what his life and death and resurrection and current ascension and reign means for us. It is something particular for us. It's a gift. Every church. I mean, there's a whole range of churches, right? I mean, there's churches that we disagree on different things, whatever. They still have pastors that are installed by the grace of Jesus to point them to who Jesus is. So when we when we install elders, when we install in days, there's going to be different gifts. Dave's going to be strong, has a different personality than me, certain gifts that are different than mine and David's. He's a different person than us. All of that is the gift of grace from Jesus for us in helping us mature and grow as disciples. So let's, let's look at point two here. We're going to kind of look a little bit of some of the job description type stuff. But I hope what you hear in that is the character of Jesus who walked for us. It's about us seeing Jesus, not about whether David's like a dynamic speaker or the best counselor or whatever, because different people reflect Jesus in different ways, but we have them in our lives to point us to Jesus. Point three. Good pastors reveal Jesus' character. Okay, so I'm going to start here in verse one just because it makes sense. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We'll pause there. I, I, I think I put verse 4 in there, but we'll point that to the next. So, when when uh, Peter is using this phrase, shepherd the flock of God, he's obviously using an agrarian picture, right, of shepherds, like a literal shepherd. When we say pastor shepherds, like, we kind of mean that, like, analogously. Like, I've never had a shepherd's crook. Like, I never walked with a stick. And I don't have a dog that helps me manage you guys. I would love a dog but I don't have a dog. Some of you have dogs. I'd like to borrow your dog. <laughs> but I don't have a dog. The actual picture of shepherds, when we think about shepherding, um, speaking of dogs, um, we tend to think of kind of a Western mode of shepherding, which is um, whenever, I, I don't know how you think about it, but I, I I think of like the movies and TVs and all that stuff where it's a shepherd behind a flock driving them forward, right? You have a, a dog. That's why you have the shepherd dog, right? What, what are they called? Sheep dogs? Is that what they're called? 
See, I, I just know that you, some of you have dogs, and I like petting dogs. That's all I know. Like, the sheepdog, right? The sheepdog goes around and kind of like corrals the, the sheep into a direction. We think of that when we think of shepherds, which would be a weird image in this picture, right? Because if you take that mentality and look at this passage, that means that my job or a job of a pastor is to drive you in the right direction. There's another picture, and this is what Middle Eastern shepherding looks like. The Middle Eastern picture of shepherding is basically a, a, a shepherd who knows his sheep intimately, knows who they are, but he leads them by his voice at the front of a pack. He said, you know, he knows each of the sheep. They all know the sound of his voice, what his voice is uniquely, and he leads them forward from among them. So in Middle Eastern cultures, that's why often when you shepherds are pictured as being very kind of like smelly and dirty is because they sleep out with the flock. They don't put the flock in a pen and go home. They sleep out with the flock. They camp around with the flock as they move it through, you know, various cult, you know, climates and you know, terrains. They they sleep not only just kind of along with it, but almost literally amidst the flock. You know, each one intimately. So, like when Jesus says, "I'm the good shepherd, and the sheep know my name," it's not because he had a, a bullhorn. It's because he knew each person. He knows each person. He's picking up from that image. So. That's kind of the, the basic idea of what's going on here, so that when we get to these three categories of how a pastor shouldn't be behaving, that reference picture is a shepherd, a pastor, a good pastor, lives among his people, and his voice of leadership is specifically for the congregation where he's at. That's the picture here. So let's just kind of break down these three phrases real quick. And I'll kind of reflect on them as we think about ordaining David. Shepherd the flock of God is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Pause there. I think, I think what Peter, there's a certain sense in which Peter is addressing, it's like you can't just be a, a pastor because everybody else is already doing it and you wouldn't want to do it. Like that's not a good idea. It's a recipe for disaster. Um, kind of pastoring under compulsion type thing. I also wonder, though, within this phrase, if there's not a sense of addressing expectations. Well, you're, you're the leader. You, you do all this stuff. Or ex- expectations of what it means to be a pastor. I think there's something here that Jesus wants us to recognize. They pastor, pastors shepherd well when they shepherd according to God's design who they are. Each shepherd will look different. I will say, at least it's interesting as I kind of do my work in the city here. People are like, so what do you what do you do? I'm a pastor at King's Cross. That's your full time gig? Yeah, that's my full time gig. What what do you do? <laughs> it's like, well I, I do I, I teach on Sunday mornings and I meet with people and I help them kind of understand and process their lives and you know, I, I go to courtroom cases, I go to ER visits, I, you know, manage our budget, you know, all that type of stuff where it's like, can, culturally, we just don't have a concept of what a pastor is. 
And so I think when we think about, especially uh, David and Dave, who are bivocational guys, who are elders and pastors who uh, have other jobs as a primary source of income, we have to think through what are our expectations? Not to be lower expectations, but have reasonable expectations. So that they don't live under this amorphous expectation, but then even personally have expectations that aren't helpful for them. That's a conversation for us to figure out, to think through. I think that's kind of in the range of what Peter's getting at here. Not under compulsion, where you're grinding against something that is unreasonable. Second thing that Peter goes after here, verse 3. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I think there's a certain sense in being a pastor that you, there is a, you have preferential treatment with people, with people that are pastors at times. You have conversations with people where you can win consensus. You can exercise influence. And if you're not careful, those, that influence can serve your own selfish desires, which in this case is financial. I think there's a sense in which we need to protect our pastors from being careful in how we think about compensating them. Like at, at this moment, I'm the only compensated elder. It would be great if we could get to a place where we could think about healthily compensating David and Dave for their work. And we do that in other ways. But I think as well, it's a sense of just trying to acknowledge being a pastor, you're in a lot of tricky situations, and you can use that for shameful gain. Just kind of serving your own end. And Peter is addressing that for us. So, for example, um, I know I've used this illustration before, but have you, have you guys ever seen the Instagram account Preachers and Sneakers? You can look it up. I mean, if you if you want a good doom scroll, it's <laughs> Preachers and Sneakers. It's where you can see how pastors are wearing, you know, multi-thousand dollar sneakers or wearing you know, multi-thousand dollar watches, all that type of stuff. You know. It's just kind of slimy. We want to avoid Dave showing up on preachers and sneakers. <laughs> Have you ever showed up on there, Dave? I mean, I know you got a pretty extensive Jordan collection, right? <laughs> Anyhow, I hope you guys understand the category I'm bringing up here. We just want to make sure that pastors are appropriately honored. And then the third thing that he talks about here, um, Verse 3, not dominating over those that are charged, but examples of the flock. Again, he talks about this use of power and returns again to this image of a shepherd being among us. Again, I don't want to get into a whole kind of diversion into this. I think either you have or you've witnessed the context with toxic leadership and all that type of dynamic. Unfortunately, this has been around. I, I take in some sense encouragement. This has been around since the time of Peter, that there were pastors who were just kind of terrible. Um, St. Gregory the Great, I think I have this quote in the slide, so we can set up. St. Gregory the Great, right? Sixth century guy. For often when the soul of a pastor is inflated because of the authority it holds over the laity, it becomes corrupted and moves to pride by the allure of power. This is, you know, 13, 1400 years ago, long time ago. This has been something that Peter, the apostles dealt with, churches always dealt with. The correction is, what does it mean to have authority within a congregation and to lead healthily, but to not lord it over and to become twisted and bridled? 
Jesus calls shepherds or pastors to be examples of their congregation, right? My encouragement here is just simply having watched Dave in the last few weeks. I've watched him care for our teams and to lead our team group and done a phenomenal thing. We've got feedback. Highly encouraging of Dave's leadership within the team, his care for me and the elders and other pastoral dynamics. I can always say from my vantage point, but I get the sense that this is true of us as a congregation. We want Dave to be a, be a pastor in his church because we see him exercising the type of leadership and use of power that feels like Jesus. Gentle, caring, thoughtful, encouraging, maybe redirecting at times when we need to be redirected. That's why we want pastors, because we lose sight of we, we each of us are sheep, and we need people to kind of help redirect us. And so my encouragement on this note is just simply to say, Dave, we're not asking you to be anybody that you're not. We're grateful for who Jesus has made you to be, and we want you to continue to be the shepherd that God's called you to be. That's, I think that's just the, the telling character of this passage for this moment. Um, I want to move on. You guys cool with that? All right. Final note here in verses 4 and 5. Safe congregations are joined by humility and Jesus. And I, I will use this as a talking about us, but then also some encouragement for, for Dave as we pastor together. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For the God, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. What's going on in this passage is um, you have to remember that this book was written, or this letter was written, to a young church, a decade, three decades old, not very old, and so most people in there were young disciples, regardless of their biological age. And so the commendation is to say, those who are in leadership to, to pastor you, to submit to them. Now, when we hear that word, appropriate, I think we kind of ask, like, oh, what does that mean? Because that kind of, I'm from New Hampshire, man. Live for your diet, you know? So I want to put up a few just to remind us what Peter has talked through in this book, just to kind of clarify the categories of what the submission is, right? Verse Peter 1 8, though you had not seen him, but you love him. This is, by the way, what I'm saying here is, this is the Apostle Peter's eldering of this church. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is irresistible and filled with glory. Peter, in this, in this situation, is commending, I see how you're loving Jesus, and I want to help you love Jesus more. So, first category, like, what does it mean to submit? Pastors are just here to help you love Jesus. That, that's at the core of what we're called to do. Next, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Again, a spiritual category of how do you think about your life? Pastors, I, I can't give you a, 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 
a plug and repeat pattern for your life of what it means to follow Jesus. But I can think through it with you and help you find a way to live your life in your discipleship so that you are focused on the return of Christ. Other thing, next. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a number of things that Peter's doing here in pastoring, pastoring the church there. But pastors then, I think in light of this verse, they're called to remind us who we are in Jesus. To remind us who we are, both where we come from and where we're going, who, what it means to be identified in Jesus. Honor everyone, love your brotherhood, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I will say this seems like uh, kind of a, a carte blanche. Life is complicated. Uh, people are going to annoy you. Um, what does it mean to help you love all different types of people and live in a world where it seems like the government's unfair? That doesn't, that doesn't lean left or right in terms of your politics. I think that's true, regardless of who's in power. Um, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherhood, a, a brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober, self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange is happening. I'll, I'll, I'll sum these up and say, life is hard. Suffering will happen. You are called to be one in Jesus. Pastors are trying to help you navigate that. In none of these do you see Peter prescribing a, a cookie-cutter version of Christian life. And in, in no way is Peter in these verses domineering over people. Can't you just pray? Can't you just get over it? He's coming alongside people, giving them a direction forward in Jesus. That's what pastors are called to do. I want to conclude with this kind of comment. I think what you see here in these verses is that ultimately a pastor is to see God's people through Jesus up. So I want to put up a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer specifically about pastoral ministry. It's one that I think about on a regular basis. A pastor should not complain about his congregation, certainly never to other people, but also not to God. A congregation has not been entrusted to him in order that he should become a accuser before God and men. When a person becomes alienated from the Christian community in which he has been placed and begins to raise complaints about it, he had better examine himself first to see whether the trouble is not due to his wish dream or that his preference of how the church should be, that should be shattered by God. And if this is the case, let him thank God for leading him in the disposition. But if not, let him nevertheless guard against ever becoming an accuser of the congregation before God. Let him rather accuse himself for his unbelief. Let him pray to God for an understanding of his own failure and his particular sin, and pray that he would not wrong his brethren. Let him, in the consciousness of his own guilt, make intercession for his brothers. Let him do what is what he is committed to do, and thank God. Now, I've I've studied and read from Bonhoeffer for a long time, and I think Bonhoeffer is a little strong in what he says here, in the sense of this. I think it's normal for us to be annoyed and to figure out, like, we have to invent and kind of process how we can be relating to people in healthy ways. So I don't think Peter, 
I don't think Bonhoeffer is saying it's not it's a it's a sin to kind of vent and figure out how you feel about things. I, I don't think he's saying that. I think what he's saying here is your job as a pastor is to help be a place where people can find the heart of Jesus for them. And the heart of Jesus for our congregation is not one of accusation. It's not finger pointing. It's always uplifting to Jesus. I think Bonhoeffer could have said this in a little bit more understanding way. But I bring it up just to say it has always been in my mind and how I think about my work as a pastor and how we think about us as elders in the church. Yeah, what there are grievances, etc. But let's resolve that we are going to be people specifically let's that we're going to be elders who insist on seeing other people with the heart and eyes of Jesus. Right? That people that don't walk away and think in the blank about the church. Affirming, encouraging, guiding, directing, safe pastors, good pastors for the church, so that we can all, the point of this, we want to see Jesus together someday. And we want to be happy about it. And we don't want to be happy about the people we see there. Maybe we'll be surprised, but we want to be happy about it. Pastors help us get from this day to that day. Revealing the heart of Jesus and the type of love he has for us. And so it's a joy that we then recognize Dave in this particular Sunday in moving towards ordaining. Let's pray. I'll take questions and then we'll, we'll move on. God, we are grateful that we have a Savior who does not accuse us, but looks at us with grace and mercy. We're grateful that we have a Savior has changed the course of human history by conquering Satan, sin, and death, rising in power, and reigning over us right now. And we're grateful for the many different types of gifts, one of them being elders among us, to help us experience his heart for us and to see Jesus face to face. So as we move into ordaining Dave, we're drawn to think of the heart of Jesus for us more importantly. And we're grateful for that. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.